Well, good morning, everybody. Hope you've recovered from our service last week, uh, our Black History service. Obviously, it's not the same. What a tremendous job they did, didn't they? A uh, little love for our brothers and sisters worked really hard for our service. And uh, I want to welcome all of you here today uh, for our part four. And we're going to just we're going to keep doing this series, Recovery Road, until our country recovers. How about that? So who knows when that is? We're just going to recover road all the way through. But if you're visiting here with us, it's great to have you. And uh, we've been doing this series for the last few weeks. It's called Recovery Road. And, and what we're talking about is just really what our country is, is almost obsessed with. Everywhere you turn, recovery and can this country recovery. And it's one of the talking points of our politicians and of so many people. But, you know, the interesting thing is that the Bible has a lot to say about this. And so as a church, whenever, and we, we're not, you know, kind of the church that takes, uh, you know, current events and we talk about current events every Sunday. No, we don't do that. But every once in a while, there's, there's something that we, we need to talk about as a church when it intersects with Scripture, when the Bible has something to say. And today we're going to see this loud and clear. We're going to hear this loud and clear. And uh, our nation's total focus is on the recovery. And the thing that we're going to look as Christians, we believe as a church, we believe that recovery can begin with us instead of in Washington. You know, how, how many of you have had your uh, your patrol visit uh, to Washington, D.C.? Raise your hand. Well, not a lot of people have been on their patrol visit uh, in the last few years, but that's OK. You don't have to go to Washington. Uh, I believe we serve a God who can can bring about Incredible change. But this is what we've talked about the last few weeks. If you uh, haven't been with us, uh, the first week we talked about uh, if someone could help me with my switcher there, Kevin, thank you. Having problems as usual. But first week we talked about uh, recovery begins with we, not they. You know that it's, it's about us. And then the second week we talked about a fearless Moral inventory. And that, that, that's all part of a recovery. We, we asked some of our experts, recovery people that have been through recovery in their STEP programs. And they, this is one of the things that they mentioned is something that, that changed them. And then uh, last week we had uh, our friend Kevin Holland who was here and he talked about, uh, you know, recovery begins with a moral authority. Focusing on we got to walk the talk. And not just talk the talk. And today we're going to focus on, and, and one of the things that Kevin talked about, and I want to encourage you to do this, pray for Nehemiahs in our leadership. Versus, you know, listening to the talking points of different people and our elected officials and which one looks good, sounds good, which has the most money, which makes the great point, which is a great debater. Hey, I want to encourage you to pray. Pray for God to put the right man in office. Independent of their political affiliation. Because I believe that's what's important, is having the right man for the right job who understands. Today's big idea, and this is what we're going to look at today, is this. Recovery begins with a declaration of dependence. Declaration of dependence. And if you've recovered from anything in your life, whether it's a really bad marriage, 
whether it's uh, an addiction to a substance, alcohol or drugs, or if you've, uh, you know, a spending problem, you reached a significant point in your life where you, you threw up your arms and you said, I, I can't do this alone. I, I can't do this without help from God. And everybody who's gone through a recovery, they realize that they reached that point where they realized they couldn't do it. And, you know, what's true individually is true corporately. And what's true corporately is true nationally. And you're going to see this. And if that that's the spirit that it takes to get people to recover individually and then corporately, I believe our nation also needs to see this need for a declaration of dependence. But let's let's be honest here today. What's our public position on God and relying on God today? Let's get real. Is it a public declaration or a public denial? And for us to recover as a nation, church or family, we need to publicly declare we're dependent on someone greater than ourselves to get out of this situation. But it almost seems like in our society that there's a resistance on behalf of our public officials, our national leaders, to declare our dependence on God. And it couldn't have been clearer than last year when they celebrated the 10th anniversary of 9-11. And you think about it, this was, this was the piece of real estate that changed our nation. Ten years ago, people were looking up. Churches were full. People were crying out to God, help us. Everybody was talking about God. Everybody was praying. There were special prayer groups at work, at school, even though it was prohibited. But the truth of the matter is, during that event, the organizers of that event at Ground Zero, they said, we're not going to have clergy here. And we're not going to mention God or religion. You've got to ask yourself, what? How could that be? At the place that, that, that left a deep impact on our nation. How is it that we're pushing back? And, and then you hear, you hear our leaders, they speak, and the, 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 the farthest just pieces, they'll say, God bless you and God bless America. And that's it. That's as far as it goes. And you've got to ask yourself, why the resistance? Why the pushback? You know, and, and we're very afraid to say, if God doesn't help us, bless us, give us new ideas and knowledge, we won't be able to work our way out of this crisis. We're not going to make it. But why won't people say that? Why won't people humble out our leaders? You know, and even at sporting events, you know, and at schools, no prayer. Why are we so unwilling to acknowledge God? And I want to ask you that question. And you know, what, what really bothers me a lot is that there's a camouflage around this thing. Of, and the camouflage is, I want to be compassionate. I want to be sensitive. I, I want to be concerned about not offending someone or hurting their feelings. So we can't mention God in a national conversation. And let me tell you, this mentality rolls over into our lives. 
I believe there's many of us who tiptoe around God in a public setting. We're so afraid of offending someone about our need for God that we won't say His name. We won't pray at work. We won't pray in a public place, in a lunchroom or in the cafeteria or in a restaurant in front of people because we're afraid of offending someone. And I'm saying this is, this is all wrong. And in Psalm 33, verse 12, this is, this is what the Bible says. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we know this. And we're going to know it for sure today as we do our historical study. You know, we did some history study last week and we're going to do some more today. We're going to go back to the 10th century B.C. And look back at an old, an old story in the Old Testament. And you know, the interesting thing is, is that we would rather offend God instead of 8% of our population. Think about that. We'd rather run the risk of offending God than 8% of the Americans that say they don't believe in God. You know, and, and we offend the same God who has given us unprecedented prosperity in our nation. Do you realize that there's never been a country like the United States of America ever with so much prosperity? I mean, it's just, it's just overflowing. There's so much money in this nation. There's so many blessings. There's so much food. There's never been a time like this. And for us not to acknowledge where it came from and who gave it to us and how we got here, all because of, all because of 8% of our nation's population. And we offend the same God that our nation's forefathers had absolutely no problem declaring their dependence on Him? Let's stop and think about that. You know, the crazy thing is, if you really stop and ask the 8%, most of them don't even care. You can talk about God all you want in front of them. They, they don't get offended. Why? Because they don't believe. What do they care if you pray? They don't believe in the God that you pray. Why would they get offended? It makes no difference to them. So even smaller than this 8%, we're going to get all out of whack over these people, over these situations. And, and the truth of the matter is, this is a radical departure from our national heritage. This is so far from what our fathers... Do you know what our national motto is? Any idea? Anybody got, anybody got a... Let me make sure, because I'm not sure. Okay? It says it right here on this note. The United States of America... And right here in big letters, right underneath it, says it right here. In God we trust. Who? Just so you don't forget. No, you got your own. <laughs> he almost thought. Yeah, it helped my recovery. Just for a minute. What's our national motto? In God we trust. In God we trust. Really? 
Are you serious? This is our this is our national motto. If it's in God, why do we have a problem acknowledging Him? In government and in public, why? Why is this? Why why this resistance? It's our motto. It's on every coin, every document. It's on our it's on our public buildings in Washington. You go to the you go to the the, the Capitol building and in the, the huge dome there there there's there's indications of God everywhere. Yet we're afraid to mention Him. I want you to imagine in Congress, every session, every session, 535 congressmen, they all come together, and before they begin, and you watch this on C-SPAN, or the Senate, or any government building, or meeting, and they all stand up together before they begin, and they say, we are the Congress of the United States of America, and in God we trust. What would that be like? Is that the way it starts? Is that the way they finish? No. We tiptoe around it so much. And it's so sad to see what it's doing to our country. And look at us now. Look at us as a nation. You know, we, we have so much. The resistance is, is not just, it's not where it is now. It's growing. To acknowledge God and recognize His blessings and our need for Him in our lives. We don't, pray. we don't pray in schools. We don't pray at most sporting events. No prayer in football. NASCAR, yes. There's prayer. No prayer in schools. People are dropping out of schools, but they're not dropping out of NASCAR. Maybe there's a connection. I don't know. But you know the interesting thing? If we'd have paid attention, and, and next week we're going to talk about this, if we paid attention to, the, to God's fundamentals in, in His Word, we could have avoided this economic crisis altogether. You don't want to miss next week, because you're going to see that live and in color. How we could have avoided this if we'd just given God His place. And so today we're going to look at an extraordinary story in the Bible. And this left an impression, this story that we're going to read in the Bible left an impression on our forefathers of our nation. And you're going to see it over and over again in history. And I believe the time is right now for us to look back at this story. And our national leaders in the past understood this connection. There was a connection between dependence on God and gratitude towards God and the blessings of God. Those two huge dots, they're connected. Acknowledge God, rely on God, and the blessings of God. Those two things put together. And so we're going to look at a story in the 10th century B.C., before Christ. And it was, Solomon was king of Israel. And it was the golden age of the nation. They were at the very highest point economically, socially. They were the superpower of the world. And they had no money problems. They had other nations borrowing from them. They had more money than they knew what to do with. Literally. I mean, it was fat what they had going on there in Jerusalem. I mean, people are just bringing stuff all the time. Not only that, 
God blessed Solomon with the spirit of wisdom. And he would hold court and there would be a line of kings, queens, officials waiting to hear what he had to say. He had a court of people listening to hear what Solomon had to say when he was asked a difficult question. Because he had tremendous wisdom. And they were at the high point of the history of Israel. And so it was at this very point when they had prepared, David left all these resources to build out the temple of God. And so they built it out. It was one of the ancient wonders of the world at that time. I mean, there was gold everywhere. The Bible tells us that there was gold like it was, you know, common metal. Just laying around. It was so common. And silver, forget about silver. That's just like aluminum today. You just throw it on the ground. That was how wealthy they were. And this was the dedication and Solomon, at the, at the dedication, the dedication day, opening day, he leads the nation in a prayer. And the interesting thing is this prayer is for you and for me. And he connects the dots between our behavior, our gratitude, and God's willingness to bless his people. And I hope today, if there's one thing I hope you can take away from today is this, that there is a direct connection between acknowledging God, who he is, and the blessings that come from him. And we're going to see that. And so this was opening day in the temple of the Lord. And he's the most powerful man in the region, maybe the most powerful man in the world at that time. And so we pick it up here in Second Chronicles chapter 6. It's up on the screen. But if you want to read it in your Bible just to make sure it's, 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 it's there, go right ahead. Second Chronicles chapter 6 and verse 12. Look what it says. Then Solomon stood up before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly. And it was this huge courtyard. I want you to imagine a place enormous like a football stadium. And people were hanging from the rafters. They were up on the rooftops. The place was packed shoulder to shoulder, people everywhere. And all eyes are on Solomon. And he's in front of the whole assembly, the whole nation. People came from all over for this dedication from the whole nation of Israel and spread out his hands. And he made a bronze platform, five cubits long and a cubit is about a foot and a half. So it was about seven and a half feet long by seven and a half feet wide. And then it was four and a half or it was a, a three and a half cubits high, which was about four and a half feet. And he placed it right in the center, made of bronze, right in the center of the courtyard. And he stood on the platform, and guess what he does? He knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. This was an awkward moment. Here's your king, the most powerful man in the region. And more than likely dressed in splendor. Jesus even makes reference. Not even Solomon in all of his splendor is dressed like these. Remember that verse? I mean, Solomon brought the bling. Full display. And he kneels down 
the king. And you know, I imagine this. If your king kneels down, guess what the whole assembly did? Guess what everybody else did? You better believe it. They knelt down also. See, because Solomon wanted everyone to know, I'm an authority. I'm the king. But I'm under authority. And I recognize with all the splendor, I mean, look at this temple, look at this place, gold, and, and, and it's incredible. People were blown away. He says, you know where this came from? This came from God. And you may be impressed by me, but there's a greater one than me. And that's God. And so he lifts up his arms and he's the wisest, most powerful man. And then he, and then he says here later on in the prayer and he's praying this prayer and you can read it in, there in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, but we're just going to grab a few pieces. In verse 26, he says this. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray towards this place and confess your name and turn their sins, turn from their sins because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive their sins, the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live and send rain on the land that you gave your people as an inheritance. And then he goes on in verse 28. When famine or plague come to the land, or blight or mildew. Now, I don't quite know what that plague of mildew is. Maybe some of you have been, you know, infected by the plague of mildew. But I don't, I don't quite know what that is, but it's, it's serious. If it's on here, it's serious. Locusts, grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, when, the prayer, when a prayer or a plea is made by any of your people Israel, each one aware of his affliction and pains and spreading out his hands towards his temple. Verse 30. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with each man according to all he does since you know his heart. For you alone know the hearts of men. So that they will fear you and walk in your ways all the time they live in the land you gave your fathers. Now, why is Solomon, why is Solomon kneeling down, arms out wide, praying to God? There was no pestilence. There was no plague. There was no debt. There was no disaster. There was no enemies waiting at the gate to invade them. Why this prayer? Because he was a wise man and he understood. All this comes from God. But he was praying for the time when you and I. And here's the prayer for you and me. Verse 32. As for the foreigner, people who are not Israelites, people who are not Jewish, even though we're meeting in a synagogue, I just want to, if you're here visiting with us, we're not, we're not Jewish. Okay? We're not Jewish. We're foreigners. Like Solomon saying, as for the foreigner who does not belong to your people, Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arms. When he comes and prays towards this temple. 
verse 33, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. As do your own people Israel, and they may know that this house I have built bears your name. What's God's agenda throughout all time? What's he want to do with this world? What's he want of us as a nation to acknowledge him? That we will recognize who he is and who we are. And then later on in chapter 7, after the prayer, something amazing happened. Everybody stepped back and the temple was there. And, and when all the Israelites saw the fire, God sent fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple. Guess what all the people did when they saw this amazing thing? They couldn't even go into the temple because of the glory of God was on that place. They knelt down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. And they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, and His love endures forever. It's an amazing scene. And later that night, after all the, all the, the events, the day was long and it was a huge day, God comes to Solomon at night. And this is what he says. He answers his prayer. And he says this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. God comes back and said, you know that prayer, Solomon, that you offered up on your knees with arms stretched out before all of Israel? I heard it and I will do it. Why is this significant? Why are we even reading this? Because I want you to understand. No matter what you're going through in your life, this promise holds true for you. But you can be like the Israelites. You don't have to wait for the plague of mildew. Or pestilence, or sickness, or cancer, or some, some great disaster, the earthquake that everyone's saying is going to come, and it's going to be a big one. Are we going to wait for that? Are we going to wait for, for a foreign country, an enemy of ours, to send a nuclear bomb over here, and then all of us, we fall on our knees and we recognize? Or do we do it now? In a hope that God will recover our nation. Not just our economy and our national debt but our moral crisis, our spiritual crisis. And see, Solomon outlines the connection. And our leaders in the past of this nation, our leaders of this nation understood the connection between dependence on God and the blessing of God. And I, and I know this is true. Many of you here today experienced this in your own lives. Circumstances that you were going through broke you down and you threw up your arms, you threw up your hands and you said to God, I will obey and depend on you. I cannot get out of this situation without you. And guess what God did? What did God do? He restored your life. 
He restored my life. You know this. But why would we allow our our public environment to squelch our faith and to silence our voices? And we're going to see this. It's intense. Our former leaders understood this. And and I'm going to take you back to, you know, we we, we had our our Black History Month service last, last Sunday. And there was a civil war in our country. And our leaders were desperate for a recovery of unity. And, you know, you and I, we read the books and we saw the movie and we know how the whole thing turned out, right? Our nation came together. But could you imagine what it was like? For our national leaders, when they were right in the middle, they didn't know how it was going to turn out. They didn't know how it was going to end. They weren't sure, and it was bad. Hundreds of thousands of American men were killed in battle. Tens of thousands were mortally wounded. Their lives would never be the same. They've lost legs. They lost arms. They were, they were crippled for life over this war. It was a terrible situation that the, the, the surroundings, fields, cities, towns were devastated. And the north and the south, both were virtually broke. There was no more money. And no one knew how it was going to end. They're feeling extreme humility. And our nation was saved by a declaration on March 2nd of 1863. A senator named James Harland from Iowa introduced a resolution calling for a national day of prayer and fasting. Why did he do that? Why would he do that? Because he understood the connection. Our national leaders understood the connection between acknowledging God, depending on God, listening to God, and His blessing. And President Lincoln, just a few days after the proclamation was presented to him, he signed it because he was committed to healing our divided nation that was ripped in half by a bloody war. One of the bloodiest wars of our history. And I want to read it to you. This is the declaration. This is the proclamation. It says, whereas the Senate, listen to this, the Senate of the United States, devoutly recognizing the supreme authority and just government of the almighty God in all affairs of men and of nations, has by his resolution requested the president to designate and set apart a day for national prayer and humiliation, which means fasting. We're not going to eat for a day. We're going we're to spread out before the Lord and recognize who He is. And it continues. And whereas it is the duty of, of nations as well as of men to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with the assured hope that genuine repentance would lead to mercy and pardon. 
Are you kidding? This is Bible talk. These are Bible phrases. What's this doing in a, in a declaration of our national government? Why would they do that? Why would they talk like that? What business is it is of the, the, the United States leaders to tell the whole country to repent and confess their sins and declare a day of national prayer and repentance? And in and, and reality... Who needs to repent here? Isn't it the South that needs to repent of their sin? How are we going to call the whole nation? And then if you were in the South, you were saying, how can they be calling us to a day of of repentance when it's the North that's in sin? And back and forth and back and forth. Why did they do this? And he continues. And I encourage you to read. You can go online. You can read the whole thing. It's amazing. And to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're saying the Bible? They're declaring the Bible as the sublime truth? And look what it says. Announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history. That those nations only are blessed. Whose God is the Lord quoting Psalm 33:12 You see I think we need to take a step back and understand during this time of our national crisis our leaders understood the clear connection between humility reverence dependence on God will open God up to the possibility for a blessing For God's healing and care. What happened to us? What happened to us? What's going on with our country now? We tiptoe around, you know, trying not to offend anyone. We've lost our ability to speak out loud and clear about things of God. You, as a Christian, you're ashamed to pray in public. You're ashamed to to share a scripture with somebody out loud. And let me just say this. It's affected you. It's affected all of us. Just, just Just this Wednesday night, I was having a Bible study with a friend. In the middle of a coffee shop. And, you know, you know, there's tight, there's small tables and there's a lot of people all around us. I got two or three feet from, from my right. There's people at this table, two or three feet from the back. There's people at that table and, and, and people are all around you. And it's, it's kind of tight. And we're having a Bible study. And we finished. And I reached out my arm. And I said, let's pray. And we bowed our heads. And we called out to God. But I got to confess felt a little awkward. How dare we let that affect us? How dare we offend God over just a, a, a small segment? I mean, who would you rather offend? You'd rather offend the creator of the universe who's provided you with everything who gives you health and life and breath. You'd rather offend him than you would offend some person who really doesn't even care. Whether you pray or not, what you do at your table, what you say, what you pray to, whether you raise your head or whatever you do. 
They don't really care. It means nothing to them. But you think about it, why can't our leaders of our nation declare their dependence on God? And you know, I, there's, here's the truth. 99% of all Americans, all Americans, when they're on their deathbed, guess where they look? Guess who they call? Even atheist. They've denied God their whole life. But when they're faced with the end, it's been documented historically. Famous atheists. When they're on their deathbed, they realize. I'm not in control anymore. I have no control over what's about to happen. And there was someone greater than me that has control. And they acknowledge him. People who haven't been to church in decades, Catholics who haven't been to church in decades, guess who they call when they're on their deathbed? A priest. Protestants who haven't been to church in decades, never picked up the Bible once, Pray rarely. Guess what happens when they're in the hospital about to die? They call a pastor. They call a priest. They call a reverend. When people realize they have no control over their lives, guess what they do? They look up. Just like we did. September 11th. Ten years ago. Everybody looked up. But now we're much more educated. We're much more sophisticated and enlightened. Yeah, well, we're not like those guys of old. You know, we understand more. We're, 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 we're above that. You think, do you think we're the first ones to come to that conclusion? To think like that? Some of us think that we're, we're, we're the wisest. We've reached a, a level of you know, intellectual intelligence that no one's ever reached before. The more you study history, the more you're going to realize things happen over and over and over. I remember as a teenager thinking my parents are from the dark ages. They have a mentality like cavemen and cavewomen. Man, you guys are back in the 30s or the 40s. This is the 80s, man. We don't talk, we don't, we, don't, we don't roll with God like that. And here I am, parent of the teenager. Teenagers, shaking my head and going, man, what a knucklehead I was. History repeats itself over and over and over again. You think we're the first nation to think we're smarter, wiser, got it together, we can figure this out, we can solve this problem without God. You think we're the first nation to do that? What's happened to us? And look at where we are. Take a look around. We're the most blessed nation in the world. See the shining sea. There's never been a more, a more blessed nation than ours. We got the best piece of real estate. We got the Pacific Coast. We got the East Coast. We got the Caribbean. We got, we got it all. We have resources all over the place. We have the strongest military force in the world. Nobody wants to mess with us. 
if they're smart. And we have more wealth. I mean, the, the amount of wealth that's in this nation. I hear a report that after the Facebook selling, Silicon Valley, they sold the, the, the shares in public and public and and now you got all these employees of Facebook. Man, they're rolling, they're rolling in all kinds of money. They go to the, they go to the, the, the dealership of the Porsche store, and, and they don't even ask how much the car's worth. They say, I want that one. Don't even worry about how much it costs. Really? And you don't know where that came from? You don't recognize where this prosperity comes from? And how is it, how is it, that's what this whole series is about. How is it that we're on the brink of bankruptcy as a nation? And the smart people know this. If we don't watch out, we'll go over. Just like Greece and some of these other countries. They're done. They're holding their hand out. Help us, please. If you don't bail us out, we're done. We're very close to that. How how could this happen? How could we be in this situation? And we're, we're talking about the economy. We're not even talking about the moral values of this country. That, that drug use is out of control, worse than it was in the 60s and the 70s when it was, quote, unquote, really bad. It's worse now. You know, families are in, in, in total disarray. But in the midst of our desperation... Why not throw up our hands and ask God, help us, please. Why won't we do that? Recovery begins with a declaration of dependence. And I'm saying as a church, imagine all the Christian churches if we did this for our leaders, for our nation. And just threw up our arms and prayed to God and asked Him, Instead of saying, we are the United States of America and it's halftime America and we're back. We'll be back. The second half is coming and we declare it and we go, yeah. Hold on a minute. Really? How about this? We're the United States of America and in God we trust. In God we trust. You know, why, why not? Why wouldn't we do that? And James, the brother of Jesus, had something really important to say. Wouldn't you want to know what James had to say? Brother of Jesus? What was it like? Kicking with Jesus in home and did he ever, you know, what, what, what was that like? What did he say? Did he cheat in football, soccer? Did he throw a rough tackle? What did he do? What was it like? He had something to say. And people listened. When James talked, people listened. Look what he says in James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I wonder if God resists a proud nation. I wonder if God will oppose a whole nation who's too proud to pray. Too proud to acknowledge who he is and what, what role he has in their family and their life. I wonder, I wonder if God opposes arrogant national leaders and all their pomp. 
And I wonder if God opposes proud citizens. I wonder if God opposes proud Christians. Too worried about offending people around them. The 8% versus Him. Stop and think about this. It's not just about our national debt. Guess what? Our national debt has got our attention a little bit. But some of us forget it. Oh, yeah, credit card. Let's go. Another home loan. Why not? Sal, let's keep doing it. It's got our attention a little bit. But you know what the real problem is? We're going to talk about it next week some more. But the real problem is in here. We're relying on ourselves. We're proud. We think we know. We think we got it together. And we're going to find out just like so many other nations in the past have found out. God is the one who gives it. You know, and and I I know I'm making this talk, talk about the nation, but in reality, there are some of you here today who've got pestilence going on in your life. Your marriage is in trouble. Your family's in trouble. Your personal life is in trouble. There's stuff going on at work. You've got problems. Yet you won't kneel down. Yet you won't stop and throw up your arms and throw up your hands and say, and I'm talking to the Christians here. I'm not, I'm not talking to the guests. Guess you're here. I'm glad you're here. Don't, don't feel like I'm talking to you. I'm talking to our brothers and sisters, members of this church. Some of you have things that are happening in your lives and you won't acknowledge your need for God. You know better. Today's the day where you declare, I can't do this without you. I can't make it. I don't care if I'm, I declare I'm a Christian or not. I need you now, God. You know that's the answer. You know that's what's going to fix your family and your marriage and your children. That's what's going to get you through the storm. Let's stop fighting it. Faith in action. I want to encourage all of us to bring God back into the picture of your life. Bring it back in. By praying to Him daily at home and at work. You know, I appreciate some of our members. Daniel Guzman, he comes to the Latin service and he helps the teens. But he, he organized a group of people at his job. And it's a, it's, a, it's a workplace that receives funding from the government. They're not the government, but they receive money from the government. And so he talked to his boss and he said, hey, I want to organize a prayer group. where We read the Bible and we pray together. Boss said, go right ahead. Because he's a counselor for families. And he realizes, his boss, that, man, families are in trouble. We need all the help we can get. And they pray at work. How about you? Are you praying at school? You know, when you sit at the cafeteria and you're there with your friends and you get your, your sandwich and you unload and everything, you put everything out there and you look around. Are you too proud to pray? What are my classmates going to think? Have you ever noticed when you've gone to a restaurant and you see another family, you see somebody else, they bow their head and they pray. How does that make you feel? Man, I say, that's awesome. That just fires me up. I say, yeah. And they get the Bible out or something. I'm like, yes. 
yes, I'm not alone. We're not alone. We feel alone, but we're not alone. Why won't you pray more? Stop being ashamed. Stop hiding your Christianity. Undercover Christian. We, we don't need any more undercover Christians. Secret agents. Acting as atheists. No, you, you need to be out. Let people know. I need God. It's not a proud thing. It's not like I'm going to wear a name tag and Jesus is Lord and all this. No, no, no. And carry a flag and I'm, I'm religious. I'm, I'm right-wing conservative. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about humility. Humility. Will you humbly say, listen, my life's a wreck. And God help me put it together again. I recognize who He is. You know, I remember when I was coaching or managing a little league team. I'm a minister, right? Son was on the team and we didn't have a very good team. And there was one team in the league, man, they were good. They were undefeated. And we played them twice. We came that close to beating them the first time. And I let the guys know on the team, I said, listen, we we play together as a team and we'll win. And you know why we'll win? Because I pray for you guys. And that became the thing, you know. Yeah, City League, you know, out there. I said, we, we, we pray. And one of our coaches, he had, he had a tumor in his back. And after practice, we prayed on the knee. We prayed for him. And so it was clear where our strength came from. That city championship... That team that was undefeated, we took them down. And we had kids on our team that never played baseball for that season ever. And they were knocking hits. And everybody knew on that team, we won because we pray. It was clear. Why don't you bring that into your life, into your platform? Wherever you are, pray. Let people know it's not about you. It's about God. And if you're a guest today, I want to invite you to study the Bible. So you can learn more about these stories, these incredible stories of dependence on God and what God can do. You know, we've got Tatiana here and she got baptized on Tuesday night. Stand up for everybody if you would. I'm sorry to embarrass you, Tatiana. She didn't want to stand up. Sorry. You know, she, she studied the Bible and she got baptized. She went public. I need God. I need God in my life. And if there are signs of pestilence in your life, it's time to throw up your hands. And this is for everybody. Members, non-members, if you're here guests, there's times of pestilence in your life, meaning trouble, meaning problems. I want to encourage you to throw up your hands and declare your dependence. And then begin a lifestyle of dependence on God. Trust me, your life will never be the same. And in this world, in this life, 
Just because you turn yourself over to God doesn't mean your troubles are over. There will be more. And we don't know how this thing's going to turn out in our nation. But I can promise you, if you depend on God as an individual, and if we depend on God as a church, we're going to be okay. Because we're going to come together and we're going to take care of each other. If somebody doesn't have food, we're going to give them food. And if somebody has trouble, we're going to take care of them just the way we've been doing for the last two years. There's been nobody in this church without need. That's been taken care of. And so I want to encourage you to do that. You know how God really wanted to make this clear for all of us? He sent his son, Jesus, to die for us. To let us know. This is how badly I want you to be with me. And one day, he knew that we would need that help. We would need that forgiveness. We would need that sacrifice. I hope that that day is today for you. That you'll turn yourself in and stop resisting and stop allowing your, this culture that we live in, this society that we live in, that pushes God out of the public setting, out of our lives. And then you'll make a decision. No, I'm going to invite Jesus into my heart and into my life and into my daily walk. Today, recovery begins with a declaration of dependence. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, and, and we're going to do something, sorry, a little out of the ordinary. It's awkward, got new carpet, let's get down on our knees. We don't do this all the time, but today's the day we need to do it. And if you're able, let's, let's stretch out our arms. Holy God in heaven, forgive us for our reliance upon ourselves. Forgive us for our arrogance. Forgive us for our sin of being ashamed of you. Forgive us for thinking that we can get ourselves out of these situations and trouble. Forgive us, God, for straying away from you as a nation, as a, as a city, as a, as a community. And we pray for your forgiveness, God. As Solomon said, whenever people raise up their hands and cry out to you, you will hear them. Father, hear us today. Heal us today. And we thank you for Jesus, God, that came to bring us a greater promise, a greater covenant than the one Solomon had. Thank you for his body and his blood that were offered up for our forgiveness. We pray that today we can begin a new life fighting against the current of our society and declare openly our need for you. God, in that process, we pray for greater humility that we won't be proud in our devotion to you, but we'll be humble and it'll be clear and evident that you are the source of our power. God, we pray for our leaders and our president and for our senators and congressmen and their governors and all the leaders of our country and of the world. God, that they will acknowledge you. Please perform a miracle in our country, in our world today that people can repent and turn back to you. Father, we thank you for this communion that we're about to take in remembrance of Jesus and his blood and his body that were broken for us. Heal us today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.